The drugs weren't numbing the pain or even giving me that original sense of relief and comfort and peace and vacation that I originally started using it for. Hey everybody, and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed podcast and YouTube channel. I'm your host, Michaela Nikolenko, and I started this show after finally finding my home in Christ. I grew up in a home with lots of abuse and addiction where Christianity became something that repelled me. I spent my early adulthood seeking God in other religions, tarot cards, psychedelics, and even myself. I didn't realize how much hell I had pulled up into my life until I came face to face with the dark side of the spirit world and Jesus fought hard to save me. Now I live to serve his will and host a platform where others can share their story too. If you're looking for a show that talks about real things and provides encouragement for those who have been to the dark side and back, this is the show for you. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share this show with anyone that you feel might be encouraged by it too. Quick disclaimer, what we can agree on here is that we love Jesus and he is our Lord and Savior. I don't filter what my guests say, so there will most likely be something along the way that you don't agree with, and that's okay. I highly recommend spending time researching and praying about anything that gets said that might trouble you. With all that said, thank you so much for joining me, and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed family. Hey you guys, and welcome back to Raised and Redeemed. Today we have another addiction recovery testimony with Michaela Jodon. She tells her story of struggling to get sober and build a life she was proud of, but all on her own strength. Obviously, there were relapses that happened and businesses that collapsed, but scripture says in Matthew 7.24 that when we build our life on a firm foundation of Christ, we can withstand whatever comes our way. And she eventually came to realize that too. Join us today in this conversation about addiction, recovery, and God's redemption. Without further ado, let's get on to the show. If you see me look this way, I'm looking at my notes here. Oh, that's okay. okay. It's actually funny because, so I reached out, I completed this program. Since I'm in recovery, I put myself through a program. And the woman that runs it, we're really, really good friends. I got to know her on a friendship level before, like a director of this program level. Mm. So I was, uh, we went to like this little church service and I was like, I literally was speaking to my husband. I was like, I want to do a podcast or be on a podcast that same exact day you reached out. No way. I promise. And I was like, babe, you are not going to believe what just happened. And I told him (laughs) and he was like, stop. I was like, yeah. So I I told her about it because it was that same night. Two days ago. Well, no, this was yesterday. Yesterday morning, it's like 9 a.m. She's calling my phone. And honestly, I'm not a morning person. So I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, why is somebody calling me this early? Yeah, yeah. Um, But she was like, hey, can you make it over in like 30 minutes? We have a news crew coming over to do stories of women that finished the house and graduated the program um can you make it over here and get on there and I was like yeah I can make it over there and get on there so just yesterday they did like this news show I don't (laughs) I don't even know how to explain it it was like it was like a I guess it was kind of more like a conversation but they recorded it for like channel um of me and another woman and it was just such a beautiful thing like it's so cool to just see how God works and I would have never been able to guess 
or tell you that this is how God was going to work. Oh my goodness. I love how he answers our prayers like that. Like sometimes it's right away. Most of the time it's not right away. So that's awesome that it was in this instance. Well, so I found you just for the listeners to know, I found you on Christian TikTok. Um, That's how I find so many of my guests (laughs) on here. Uh, I think I saw, I think it was your testimony video of just, I think you showed some mug shots and then now your life. So it was, you know, comparing your life before struggling with addiction and just everything that you went through to now your new life in Christ. And I was so inspired by that and knew I wanted to have you on the show. So thank Uh, you for being here. Yeah. Thank you for asking. And it's cool how both of our names are Michaela too. I know. There's so many different spellings though. So we do have a little bit of a distinguishment there. Right. So yeah, today I just want to talk a little bit about your spiritual journey where it started, what led to your struggle with addiction, and then how Jesus finally saved you? Yeah, that's. I think that's such a beautiful question. It's funny because I, as a child, so I grew up uh, Catholic, mm. um, not strict Catholic where you have to go to church and you have to do these things, but my grandparents influenced it. Mm-hmm. Um and really, as a child, it's like you don't really get a say so in the matter. You know, you yeah. just kind of do what you have to. So, like, I made my first communion. I go to these Bible weeks, you know, these vacation Bible schools. I always heard about God, so I knew there was a God. Yeah. Okay. Always I did. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, my grandparents played really big roles in that as well. I remember distinctively, like, I don't remember too much as a child, but I do remember, um, like, I loved my grandma's attention. So I'd run over there to her and I'd be talking to her. And whether it was in the morning or at night, she'd shoo me away really quick. And she wasn't like a mean grandma at all, but she shooed me away when she was trying to pray. Mm. And she showed me then how important prayer was. I mean, this was a daily thing, morning, night, during the day, like she prayed. Yeah. She was a prayer warrior. So I'm appreciative for her being in my life and being able to make those memories with her. So I never had a relationship with God, but I knew there was a God. Mm -hmm. I would, I mean, I can go back through like an old Facebook of mine. I was just doing that the other day and I would see these posts like, all grace to God, grateful for God. And God is so awesome. But I, behind closed doors, I didn't have a relationship. You know, I knew of a God and I, I knew that God was great, but I wasn't really doing, you know, godly things. If somebody were to look at me and my action, they wouldn't be like, that's a Christian, you know, it's not a godly woman. You know, I was wearing like provocative clothes and still, just attention. I wanted attention for a long time. Um, And I think it kind of comes from that addiction that I had because I craved this comfort. And that's how I kind of got started as a teenager. You know, I smoked weed, I drank, all of my friends were doing it. So it seemed just like the teenage thing to do. Yeah. Um, And I always hung out with people older than me. So they we're always the people that knew where to get the things that I wanted from. Yeah, um, I ended up my first year of high school it was that summer going into high school. I remember I drank and did pills like that first night of summer. And that's how my entire summer went. 
Hmm. I remember when I felt the release and the comfort of not caring about what I acted like, what I said, what I looked like, you know, like I had all of this confidence and Mm. I didn't know where it came from because it wasn't me, you know, but I, I I became addicted to that feeling immediately of just getting out of myself and not caring about what everybody else thought of me. I was always so worried and anxious about what others thought of me, even though people would look at me and think I wasn't. Yeah, I get that. I was the same way. I I totally understand that. Um, Yeah. And I wish I could go tell my younger self, hey, you don't really have to care that much about (laughs) what everybody thinks of you because it's also not that important. Well, and everybody's thinking about themselves. Like nobody's thinking about (laughs) you as much as you think that they're thinking about you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, my story is very similar to that. So I I completely get what you're saying. I'm kind of curious. Going back, you talk about your your grandma being a, a big part of your life. Were your parents in your life at all? Yeah, they were. My mom was a single mom. She had me at 14. And then my dad was actually the same age. Um, he was from Texas originally. So he kept moving back from Ohio to Texas. They were never together. Mm-hmm. So I have probably around four or five, you know, my dad shows up and tries to be in my life again. And it was a very back and forth thing mm-hmm. um, where there was, but my grandpa, my grandpa played a a big fatherly figure in my life yeah. because I, that was the one relationship that I saw. It was, you know, a mother and a father and they had a family. It was my very first understanding of a father figure, mm-hmm. but it still put a lot of confusion in my life because I was, so I was the first grandchild. I was my mom's first kid. So I'm the older sister of a brother and a sister. Okay. Um, but my brother is on my dad's side and my sister's on my mom's side. So mm-hmm. me and my sister grew up together. Sooner or later, I start to meet my younger brother um, because that's on my dad's side. And he was, you know, kind of in and out. Um, and they deal with their own problems, too. So mm-hmm. alcoholism, addiction runs throughout my family. Um, and at that time of being a teenager and my mom being a younger mother, we grew up together. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom was 14 when she had me. Yeah. So that's a child having a baby. Yeah. So my grandparents, you know, love them so much because they did so much. They made sure I was taken care of and I had everything I needed. And I was so loved as a child. That's also what I don't understand sometimes too, because like when I, when I'm trying to figure out where this trauma comes from, I, everybody loved me. I was so mm-hmm. loved as a child and and just from that growing up age, but there was a lot of dysfunction, you know, that became normal to me. You know, I just thought these things were normal. Um, A little background is, you know, me and my mom, we used together. Mm. So my mom, since she was a young mom, she was that cool mom, you know, she'd, she'd be drinking, she'd allow my friends to drink. Yeah. Um, and take me to boys' house to spend the night really young, like 12, um, because I grew up really fast, too. So I'm 12 hanging out with, like, 15, 16, 17-year-olds. Yeah. Um, and I'm also using my mom's, you know, addiction to my advantage. You know, she's drunk. She's not even going to remember where I'm going or where I'm at. So I'm going to have her drop me off. Um, so it was a lot of playing off of each other's weaknesses there. 
um, it's interesting because me and my mom, so right around age 14, I'm experimenting. I'm, I'm experimenting with pills and I'm drinking. And this is like every time I can get my hands on it type deal, you know, any mm-hmm. chance I can get I'm doing it. Um, and then I start experimenting with, you know, psychedelics. I'm experimenting with harder pills, um, Xanax. That was like one of my favorite things I try to do all the time. A friend of mine that was a little older gave me heroin for the first time. It was, I was like about 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember I did it, me and my boyfriend at the time, we had done it. And I had never felt so just okay with anything in my life. Like it was finally the voices in my head, the chatter calmed down. Um, I was able just to sit still with my own thoughts for a minute. And I thought, this is interesting. Um, I didn't get addicted right from the beginning. Um, I started obviously still drinking and smoking every single day, but later on down the road, I started doing it Every day I thought it was just for fun until I woke up a day before I had to go to school. It was my senior year of school um, and I needed it. So I figured out I was addicted to it because now I'm trying to wake up and go to school without it and I couldn't. And no longer did it become a maybe in my life. It was a necessity. You know, I had to wake up. I had to figure out a way to go and get it and then deal with responsibilities. What's interesting to me is something that you said about how when you did it for the first time, you felt this release where the voices weren't there, no stress, I imagine, just like yeah. like a sense of of peace. And I'm going to try to process out what I'm thinking here mm-hmm. verbally as I'm yeah. saying it. Um, I heard once how, you know, we were created for paradise. Like we were created when when Adam and Eve were created, they lived in the Garden of Eden in paradise. We have eternity in our hearts. God designed us with eternity in our, in our hearts. Like we know that we're not meant for like a broken, fallen world. We crave paradise. We don't want to feel pain yeah. and suffering and hear these negative voices. And and so I feel like you know, reflecting back because I did a lot of the same things you're doing. I was looking for that sense of of peace of connection to the divine of the quieting of the voices to just feel free within myself kind of like the same things that you're saying but the thing is is these things going back to how satan doesn't create anything new he just creates counterfeit versions yes and these counterfeit versions slowly begin to destroy us right And I can see that now. And at the time, it's like nobody could have told me that, you know, what you just said. Yeah. It seems so real. If you're in a relationship and trying to figure out if he's the one, or maybe you're recently single and taking a step back to figure out how to best go about finding the one, I have the ebook for you. Head over to the link in my bio or in the comment section from wherever you're listening to find my latest ebook, How to Know If He's the One. In this ebook, I share the worst of my relational mistakes and how Jesus finally showed me there was a better way. Gradually, he began to mend my heart, and I know he will do the same for you too. I'm 24 years old, so my first treatment center I went to, I was 17. 
It was my senior year of high school. Um, and a friend of mine, her mom made her go to rehab. See, my family wasn't necessarily like that. It was okay. You know, you can smoke weed, you can drink, you can hang out. No one really ever said they had a problem. Yeah. I'm like, I have a problem. Yeah. I'm doing heroin every single day, trying to go to school and graduate. This doesn't make sense. You know, like I knew God had put this person, a really good friend of mine in my life to come over to my house a day where she was fresh out of treatment that her mom made her go to. Um, and I was sick. I was dope sick and I had nothing. And it was, I remember it was this beautiful sunny day and I typically love summer, but I couldn't even operate. <laughs> you know, I couldn't even think complete thoughts. Yeah. My skin was scratching off. Like I was just, I felt horrible. She comes over, which really ultimately could have hurt her sobriety, you know, because I wasn't doing well. We had also used together before. So it could have been threatening, but God had a bigger plan there. You know, seeing her showed me I can have something like that. Mm. You know, I can be clean. I can be sober. I can live a life without drugs. And I craved that at that moment. So at that time, I had to tell my mom because I was 17 at the time. I'm like, we got to call this center. We yeah. got to get me into this treatment center. Like I was so determined to get some help because I know I couldn't live the rest of my life like this. Yeah. Is that sort of like when you became convicted of your sin or at this point, like it wasn't necessarily spiritual yet? Yeah, um, not quite spiritual yet. but I mean. I can look back at and see how God was still woven in all these details, you yeah. know, because it wasn't me. That wasn't me. You know, that wasn't just me and my own thoughts doing that. That was God working his master hand on the situation, you know, because I was weak during that time. Yeah. Um, and I think that's also what's the beauty of it is even in our mess and in our destruction, God will still be working, you know, God's hand is on everything. And I can see that now. Yeah. And goodness, am I so grateful because there were many times that I, you know, the ambulance was called because I've overdosed and I'm not breathing anymore and they have to Narcan me and bring me back. And I come back and I come back. Some people never come back from those things. Mm. You know, there were many situations. So I'm also a type one diabetic. And I have been since I've been 12. So there were also many occasions where my sugar is off the charts over a thousand. I need to be taken to the hospital because I'm not right. You know, my sugar is not okay. So not only do I just have like the disease of addiction, but I also have type 1 diabetes. So this is, these are like two diseases that really take people out. Yeah. Honestly, they do. Or, or you come back and you're not fully the same. You know, you're not the same anymore. Yeah. So God has just had his hand on the situation the whole time. So I finally went to my first treatment center. I did some of school there. Get back out. Don't change anything because I don't really think it's that serious. See, yes. I think my problem is take away the drink, take away the drug, and I'm okay. You know, that's all I have to do. I just have to put those things down and I'm going to be just fine. Mm -hmm. um, well, now I get hit with the hard facts, you know, that that's not real. Yeah. You know, I get out of treatment. I'm still hanging around the same people. I'm still doing the same things. I'm still listening to the same worldly music. Mm -hmm. Like I'm still doing all of these things that I would have been doing if I were drinking and drugging. 
Yeah, I love that you said that because it's so much deeper than just not doing the substances. It's it's getting to the root of the problem, like why you actually seek it, the environment that encourages it, the music yes. that inspires you to go find it. Right. It's, it's all intertwined. It really is. So I ended up going going back to that same treatment center again because I couldn't get it. You know, I couldn't get it. I didn't want to change the things that were going to be hard to change, you mm-hmm. know. And at that time, you know, I didn't tell on my disease. I didn't tell secrets that I kept. I didn't tell my counselor at the time, hey, me and my mother were using together. Mm-hmm. So I go back home and the relationship's now weird. You know, I'm trying to stay sober, but I'm trying to stay sober on my own will, in my own power, and I can't do that. And you were at home with your mom who was still using? Yes, she was still using at the time. And so a couple treatment centers, you know, I'm going back. I I actually graduated high school by the grace of God at that time. Um, My grandma passed away, Mm. and I started using again. Um, so it's this back and forth cycle for a while and people were very worried about me, you know, because they knew my grandma just passed away. They knew the the struggles that I, I was having already prior to my grandma passing away. And that was my best friend. You know, that was the woman that I looked up to. She was just the brightest light with anything she said. She made it all make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, she was that kind of woman. And So for a little while, I struggled. I I found relationships, you know, that would bandage it for a while, Um, friendships that would bandage it for a while, Um, but I'd still always be stuck with me, the root of the problem, you know, like I believed in this God, but I never had a relationship. Mm-hmm. Never had, never sat down, really could look myself in the mirror and be like, I can't do this. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Since I, I grew up at a young age, it was like, I always had to do things. Yeah, You know, if, if I wanted something, I needed to go get it. Um, and so I carried that with me and I felt like that was my only way. If I wanted, I have to go get it. Yeah. Um, and that's it. I can't depend on people. I can't trust people really, because look at my long line of lists of people that I've trusted and it's all went wrong. So time after time, and I can see God still even being woven in these details, right. Um, of just not even appreciating myself anymore. You kind of asked the question at the beginning of jobs. So I started Mm -hmm. off as a waitress and that was the one thing that I wouldn't give up is going to work. When I got out of treatment, they're like, do not go back to work right away. It's not going to be good. You know, they try to warn me of this and I'm like, you know what? I got this. Yeah. I'm a little different. I bet I can figure out a way how to do this. and I'm going to stay sober. Started working, immediately having cash in my hand and money in my pocket. I went right back to doing the same old thing. Um, And I just didn't believe people until I experienced it myself, you know? And I'm like, okay, I have to, I have to just like focus on myself for a little while. So I finally left that position after a few years 
and I started looking for another job. I actually ran into something. As soon as I graduated, I turned 18. I ran into this door-to-door sales job. Um, it was another release for me. You know, I was always looking for something, mm-hmm. something to get me out of me and not to worry about what was actually going on in my life. Mm. So crushed the interview. They hire me. Um, and I just become an, a workaholic now. Yeah. Now all I'm doing, I have about two months sober. I'm not going to meetings anymore. Um, I'm not focusing on my recovery. I'm focusing on work because that's important now. Yeah. You know? It's so funny because I can see the <laughs> I can see the same thing happening in my life, right? I get a little bit of sober time. Um, I I, you know, my my skin color's back, my hair looks okay, I got some nice clothes on and I'm all freshened up. Now it's work goes in front of my relationship with God. Yeah. Money goes in front of my relationship with God. Relationship goes in front of my relationship with God. I start putting all of these things, these material things that God I can see now will ultimately align. Mm-hmm. Um, I start putting all these material things in front of my relationship with God. Yeah. So, you know, God would be on the back burner. You know, I drag God along with me where I was going, but I wasn't making it a core focus of my life is going to be surrounded with God, you know, God and I'm bringing God in all of my details. Of yeah. My plans. Yeah. So then since you weren't following God's plan, even though he's sovereign, right? Like he still has you on, on his plan, but you weren't letting him be the one in the driver's seat. So oh, yeah. what ended up happening in your life then? Yeah. So it, I feel like a lot of it was uh, fake almost, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't real. So I stayed at this position for, I, I I became really good at it. I I started making over a thousand dollars a week. So I was like, I'm staying wow. here doing this. You know, I was 18 years old. I'm fresh out of high school. I'm like, this is what I was born to do, basically. Yeah. You know, I'm having all these awakenings. Like, this is what I meant to be. Um, and so about a year into it, I moved to Michigan because there was an opportunity out there to start up a new location. So I did that. I moved out there um, and I started at the time dating my manager because you know me, right? Um, I do things that are comfortable. I look at things as how can I get the most out of it? Yeah. You know, so I start dating my manager so I can be the next manager. Mm. You know, I I mean, it's horrible to say, but that's where my selfishness I get and self-centeredness that. comes from when it, especially when God's not in the middle of it. Yeah. And as a, as a beautiful woman, you kind of, there's a dangerous power in there if you're not surrendered to God's will. Oh yeah. Things <laughs> will seem like they're very tied up in a bow just for you. And it is a present from the enemy mm. is what it can be. Oh so God. I became so I called it at the time driven to succeed, Um, but I'm leaving behind my sobriety. I'm leaving behind the things, the spiritual life that is important. Well, when I get to Michigan, I'm way far out of my comfort zone. I know nobody out there. I try to go to like a meeting out there for my recovery. And I was like, this is weird. I'm not doing this. Mm -hmm. Well, I become an alcoholic. I start buying liquor every day, drinking because I get to a place of uncomfortability, you know, I get to a place of where 
I feel like drinking would be the best thing to do right now. So I did that. And again, this sobriety is really on and off because I'm not, I don't have a foundation, a firm foundation that no matter what happens, I can always come back to. I'm all over the place at this point in time. Some way, I don't know how this works, but I scrounge up some sobriety again because I'm caught and I'm drunk all the time. People are worried about me. So um, I figured out, scrounged up some sobriety, and then I moved back to Ohio and open up my own location. So I get the opportunity to open up my own business. Um, four people move with me and I start, I start doing it. Well, you know, me being an addict and an alcoholic uh, and owning my own company so early on, honestly, was more of a horrible thing to do than a good thing to do because I wasn't still doing the right thing. You know, I'm still listening to this music that is sucking the life out of me. Um, I'm still cussing all the time. I'm walking around in just this, this version of myself that I look back at now and there were times I wish I was that version, but I know for sure it wasn't the version of myself that God would appreciate me being. I'm going to take a quick second here to tell you about Raised and Redeemed merch. I somehow end up in my bright pink Raised and Redeemed crew neck nearly every day because it's so comfy and I love to tell the world that I have been raised and redeemed in Jesus's name. And wearing something that says that is a great conversation starter. Not only do we have crew necks, but we also have t-shirts, hoodies, cropped hoodies, mugs, stickers, socks, and more. You can either follow the link titled Raised and Redeemed Merch in the comment section of wherever you're listening, click the link in any of my social media bios, or go to raisedandredeemed.creator.spring.com, and that is raised and spelled out A-N-D, redeemed.creator.spring.com, to order yours and support the show today. So we were at the part of your story um, where it seems like you have all this worldly success starting to happen, but as you were saying, God wasn't in it. So it feels like we're leading up to some sort of climax. Yeah, you're correct. So um, you're you're right. I had I had money. I had a car. I had a business. It seemed like looking in to my life. Oh, she's doing amazing. Uh, She has everything she wants. She's just where she, you know, wants to be. Um, And, but inside, I was really depressed still. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a little bit of it over a year clean. Um, So I was trying to do the right thing. Um, And then this is right when COVID happened. So it shut down the company that I was running um, because we couldn't no longer go to customers' houses anymore. Um, All meetings shut down that I was going to. Like life really took a turn um, for the worst, honestly. And a lot, and I know it just wasn't my business that this happened to. It was a ton of other people's, you know. And I started looking at, I think I need a shift in my life, you know. Um, Career-wise, I was under the impression that if something in the world would happen, that I would 
still have income. I would still have a job. Um, All of my employees would still be employed and they weren't. Mm. So I ultimately felt a little bit betrayed um, that, you know, everything was shut down and I was not working either, you know? So now I'm wondering if something else is going to happen, the same thing is going to happen again. So it really made me question where I was at. Um, and instead of dealing with things, right, instead of leaning on this relationship with God that I acted like I had, um, but really didn't, Mm -hmm. um, I, I went back to what I know. I literally drove because I'm living over an hour away from my hometown at this time. And I literally drove back to my hometown, reached out to a family member of mine. And I was like, hey, I have a little time sober, but I am trying to get high. And she got it for me, gave it to me. And this is now where my life, I start to get real life consequences. See, Mm. I never did. I would, I always skid by, by the skin of my teeth, literally yeah. like barely not getting consequences, but not, you know, they were more, uh, my own consequences, you know, health wise, the way I looked, but it was never like jail time, um, charges, you know, suspended license, yeah. OVIs. Now these things are happening, right? First day it happens, I get an OVI and a few months prior to this, let me kind of go back. So when all of COVID happened, shut everything down, a few months go by and we're allowed to start working again, but you have to wear a mask. So we started working with masks and I ran into uh, my now husband. I knocked on his door and he's living in the town I'm from, which I had no idea that we're from the same town. So I knock on his door and I'm trying to sell him AT&T because mm-hmm. that's what I was doing at the time. Um, I'm trying to get him set up with it. Well, we exchange numbers and we start kind of talking back and forth. So a few months go by. I decide to leave my position that I'm at um, because I just felt it was best. You know, I didn't think I could grow there. My ex worked there. It was, it was just an all around, I felt like would be more of a toxic thing than a good thing for anybody. Um, So I decided to leave that. And this is what I've done for the last four years. So I got very um, depressed because I was lonely. Mm -hmm. And on top of it, I just, I'm now making really major changes in my life. And I stopped staying connected with the people that were willing to help me. You know, Mm. there were a lot of great women that I've met that are like, call me if you need anything. Like if something gets hard, let's do, you know, I'm here to work with you. And I just stopped reaching out to all of those people. And I'm like, Mm. you know, I got it. I'm going to do it my own way. Yeah. Going back to to what you said that you've done since childhood. (laughs) Exactly. I got it. Yeah. No worries. I got it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I tried to do it my own way again, and I always get myself in trouble. Nobody even has to get me in trouble. I do it very well myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and now this is where consequences start to take place. I, um, I was over at this family member's house and, um, I do cause it's fentanyl now it's not heroin anymore. I do some fentanyl. I get in my car and I'm going to go to the gas station or something. and. Uh, my keys in the ignition and the neighbors 
see my car on, but I haven't gotten out in a while. It's been like 30, 40 minutes. So they come over to my car and they can see on my Apple watch that my heartbeat is at zero. So they call the ambulance and I had overdosed in my car and they come and get me. They bring me back. I I come back and I'm not too sure what just happened. You know, I really forgot. I had no idea what just happened. And, um, the police are handcuffing me and they're going to take me to jail. And I was so confused. And because my key was in the ignition, um, they were originally trying to charge me with a DUI driving under the influence. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I wasn't driving. It was parked, but I guess technically in the state of Ohio, they needed to charge me with something that day. Yeah. So they charged me with a physical control which is basically like an OVI, it's no better. Um, but those were like my real, my first real consequences where I'm sitting in a jail cell um, and I call my boyfriend at the time, Justin, which is now my husband, okay. and he's sober. And I'm like, you know, this isn't going well. My own way isn't going too well. Uh, can you come pick me up from jail? And these were like, now these consequences were really setting in with me uh, because that's something I always, I felt so prideful of. Yeah. Never had these consequences. I always got by and no jail time or, or never arrested. Like I, that was prideful for me, you know? Yeah, I get that. And so then these things start happening. Um, And that that makes it become real like that. Oh yeah. And it becomes a part of like you see it now as your identity when you begin to like if you get legal charges or something like this i i had a moment like that where i got arrested i got it expunged when i was 18 but for shoplifting and i almost lost my scholarship and it was oh, so yeah. it was so stupid but it was one of those moments that made me realize like that's not who i want to be yeah and I have always seemed to be this person too. It's like all or nothing with me. So it was almost like I wanted to change. I had this desire. I really did to be a different person. Mm-hmm. And in scripture, how this, how what I'm trying to say makes sense. It's Romans 6, 7, and 8, where it explains why we sin. You know, I want to do the right thing, but I can't. Like I have this desire to be a good person, do the right thing. Everybody wants me to as well. Everybody wants me to be this great person and do the right thing because they know my heart, you know, and when I'm stuck in this cycle, and that's why it was so important for me to understand that what I go through is is a disease, you know, once I take one of these, one of these drinks, one of these pills, one smoke something, one of whatever, it then sets off this trigger in my brain. I can't do it normally. I cannot do it socially. Even if my brain tells me I can, I can't because time after time, these are the things that happen. It's jails, institution and death for me. And thank you, Lord. I haven't made, I'm not in a grave, you know, but I'm also not going to do it until that, you know, there's been many times I've been faced with death, um, like this close, this close, like really probably should have. And God felt it fit for me not to go yet. So wow. I think obviously a bigger verse. plan. Oh, of course. Yeah. I think there's a Bible verse too, about how he punishes the one he loves. Like there's consequences so that then we then change because if you keep getting away with this stuff I actually what was I 
watching the other day. I was watching a movie um, and this businessman like kept sinning. Like he just lived like a very worldly businessman kind of life. And his mom Mm -hmm. was a believer who was on her deathbed and he was sitting there and she kind of had like dementia. So she didn't really know who she was talking to half the time. And he looked at her and he's like, you believe in this God, but like, here I am. Like I, I do whatever I want and nothing ever, nothing bad ever happens. And, and she looks at him and like actually remembers for a second. And, um, she goes, well, sometimes the devil lets us be comfortable in our life of sin so that we don't ever think we need to cry out to God for help. Wow. That's powerful. And I think for a while that was me. It was very comfortable, but still I wasn't comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, the life, everything externally, nothing was giving me problems. But I can look back now, like, so when my grandma had passed away, right? Um, The first time I went to treatment, I remember praying this prayer. It was probably one of the first honest prayers I have ever prayed. And I was willing to change. I was ready to change. And I was like, she was getting older. I knew that she was getting, you know, to her age where, you know, God wanted to take her home. And I was like, uh, do me a favor, God, and please just wait until I get out. Because this was like a two-month program. So Mm -hmm. I called her every week I could. But I was like, please wait until I get out. I get out. A week later, she was in the hospital and died the next day. So at first, I looked at that situation because I was in it like such why would you take her you know kind of like in that aspect but I look at it now like what a blessing that God answered my prayer for me yeah for one but for two I can see that situation had made me so much stronger um see if and I love my grandma to death she was so loving caring and kind but to put her through some stress, I put her through bawling my eyes out because I needed dope and I didn't have money. So I was crying to her to give me money for dope. I didn't want to have to put her through that kind of stuff. And even some some ways she had saw me, I really wish she didn't have to see me like that, you know. But well, by taking her, now. oh my goodness, I know <laughs> she'd be like, that's my, that is who she's supposed to be, yeah. really. And she made such an impact on such a short time. I got, I felt like I got to spend with her, you know, but like, I just feel like God works in such mysterious ways sometimes, even when I can't see it. Oh yeah. So at this, so at this time I'm, I relapse, I'm kind of still in this thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's like, I feel like every time I have a little bit of sobriety, I get to another, uh, another place God needed me to be, you know? willing and ready, um, or even just ready to give up certain things too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, me and my boyfriend at the time, um, which is my husband now, but, um, I, I go back out and he decides to go back out too. So we are now for the next year and a half or no, it was about a year, maybe a little less than, um, we're living this life. You know, we have a, a house in Akron, which I don't even know how we got. Um, we have a car. I have a car. So we feel physically and, you know, materially we're doing well. You know, we're yeah. doing fine. So I've always had this idea, too, when I'm using but not talking to my family, I'm protecting them. Mm. Or I'm keeping them away at a distance so I'm not actually hurting them. Well, see, I finally have now come to this realization today. Um, and now that 
when people love us, they want to hear from us. Wow. You know? And so I felt my whole life, I was protecting my family and I have a little sister. I was protecting my little sister by not speaking to her. They want to see us. That's so good. My mom does this every time she's guilty, every time she relapses or does something, she goes ghost. Yeah. For like weeks, sometimes months, and then she finally comes back, and I know exactly what she's gonna say every time is, "Well, like this happened, da da da," yeah. and I'm like, "That's okay. I just want you. Like, I don't care." Yeah, and that's that was such an important realization for me because this whole time, like, I thought I was protecting them because that's in my sick way of thinking. I am, but I'm really not. You know, I, they want to hear from me. They want to talk to me. Well, and the and devil so- tells you that too, condemning you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're going to hurt those people. And you probably feel a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. And because now I have a foundation, like me and my husband, we have a foundation of a spiritual program under our belt. He had a little over a year of sobriety and I had a year of sobriety. And then we do this. So there's a a really deep rooted uh, sense of guilt and shame you know, that comes over me that is like, there's no use, there's no point in going back now, you know, because I've already thrown all this time away. Oh, everybody's upset at me now. Um, When really people have just had open arms, you know, in this program that I work, you know, they're, they're willing to, to listen and to be here for me and not judge. But I have this idea, right, that the enemy puts in my head of yeah. these people are going to judge you and all this guilt and all this shame. And it's not real, you know. So what was your your turning point to now get to that place where you are? Yeah. So um, in February of 21, um, my little cousin, so we only had, we were a small family. We had like four cousins that we would hang out with. It was me, my sister, my cousin, Johnny, my cousin, Colby, and then another cousin, Caden. Like we had five cousins. I was always jealous of really big families because I always wanted a bunch of cousins to hang out with. We were a small, (laughs) intimate family. So um, my cousin, he was 19. I get the phone call February of 21 that he passed away of an overdose. Mm. Um, And uh, I was, I was still in my addiction, but I felt that, you know, I couldn't feel many things, <laughs> honestly, mm-hmm. because I numbed all the pain I possibly could. Yeah. Um, but I felt that one, um, the anger and rage that I felt, um, because I felt I should have been a example. You know, I struggled with this disease of addiction for the past six, seven years. So I should have been an example. Um, So a lot of guilt, a lot of shame kind of came over me. Um, Not really wanting to believe it was true. Um, And then a very similar situation when my grandma passed away because I was using at that time too. Um, I'm just going to use away the pain. Um, I'm not going to feel it. I'm not going to think about it. Um, I literally couldn't even mention it or talk about it without bawling my eyes out, even when using. So see, the drugs weren't doing the trick anymore. Mm. You know, the drugs weren't numbing the pain or even giving me that original sense of relief and comfort and peace and vacation that I originally started using it for. I love that you said that because I sort of experienced that where I was... 
I was literally under the influence for like 10 years. <laughs> and so I never processed like my childhood pain or like just different yeah. trauma that I had experienced. And while you think that you're like going to numb your way through it, I realized after that, now being sober, that I have to go process all that stuff that I numbed yes. out. <laughs> so that's the first part is I didn't process it. I was numbing for all those years. So now, and my husband was like, like he was met with a lot of stuff when we first got married. Cause now I'm like, like finally sober, sober, like not yeah. even, not even wine, you know, like that sober. Right. And so I was processing through so much, like so many tears, like finally feeling those emotions. And then, yeah, the second part to that is like you said that God stopped letting that be like you didn't have that same effect now when you're using like mm. I remember feeling that like I'm no longer getting a buzz when I drink I'm yeah. no longer feeling good when I get high and I was like what is this like I'm used to like I do this I feel this and it stopped working for me too to where it like added to it added to my thought process like I don't need this anymore this isn't even making me feel good anymore no. so I don't know I don't know if your situation was was kind of like that yeah it was it was exactly like that. and this is where I feel like God has worked through these painful situations to bring me out of finally I'm at a point where I have to go to a psych ward because I'm addicted to suboxone so usually mm -hmm. that's what they give me to come off of the fentanyl and everything else from detox well now I'm addicted to the suboxone and I don't have any of those left so the only place that'll take me is a psych ward so last year I went to the psych ward um and I was there for five days. They pink slipped me and I've never really been to the psych ward before. So this was my first experience. And when I figured out you can't leave, because I did try, you know, I did try <laughs> to leave after the hour where I'm like, oh, I'm okay now. I'm fine. You know, just let me go. And they're like, absolutely not. You're pink slipped. And <laughs> I wasn't too sure what that meant. And then I figured it out and I'm like, okay, it was probably the first time in a really long time that God set me down, um, locked me up somewhere that I couldn't leave or I couldn't make any decision or I couldn't do anything other than sit with him. And there was a lot of stuff I had to sort through. I had to sort through a lot of guilt and shame and situations that took place that people didn't know about, you know, behind closed doors, decisions I made in the process that really weren't of me. Um, people I hurt, there was a lot that like flooded back during those days. Um, but I made a call to a program, to a treatment center. Um, that was six months long originally. And I, I was like, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to go and I'm ready to just sit down because God has always had a hard time doing that for me is sitting down, being quiet, listening and just staying still. And I, I just appreciate so much God working in my life because when I get to this treatment program, which it all, it didn't go that smooth and that simple, but these are the big things that happen, right? As soon as I got to that program, I was so guilty. I was so guilty of why I didn't just stay sober. How come I didn't just call and reach out to somebody when I had relapsed? You know, it would have saved me a lot of trouble, pain, and shame you know, probably could have saved a lot of people. I loved that too. Yeah. Um, it was always this why. Um, and I wish I would have did something different. 
And I just sat there for days and listened and just was around because I started going to these groups and um, a woman came and did a group with us. And I had been to this program before and she was like, I was like, yeah, I've been here before. She's like, oh, I remember you. And she was like, all I hear God saying to me is I see you. Mm. And I just bawled my eyes out because I couldn't, I couldn't bring that to words that I felt like I wasn't seen or that I was just another number, or just another person or just another woman, you know, yeah. um, but God knew what I needed to hear at that time. And I was like, okay, you know, that was the next little thing I needed to just keep going and That's keep looking forward. So my cousin passing away, that was a big event that really has inspired me to help people. I look at that next person like that's my little cousin that needs help. Yeah. You know. And I even can relate on another level with that with people. You know, I've been there. And God just recently revealed to me because I don't think I completely had closure on that situation. I understood it happened, but I always seem to ask the question, why? You yeah. know, why does why did that happen? And God revealed to me that that pain and that heartache that you felt from him passing is exactly the pain and the heartache that you were putting other people through too. And that really was a perspective I did not understand until this situation. Mm. So God just always reveals things in the time, because if I would have heard all of that right at the beginning, I don't think I would have understood it. Yeah. You know, but in time, he reveals these things that are so important. So my husband and I, we ended up getting married a few months in. He went and got help as well at another program. Um, and we got married. And that is when we, we got married, we got baptized, and we started living our life for the Lord. I went to a faith-based program. So that's really what introduced the fact of, you know, I was so broken, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. I tried living my way so many different times. You know, I'm going to live this way and invite God. You know, I'm going to live this way, but sometimes tell God what I'm doing. You know, it was yeah. always my way and God. You know, he can come. You know, it was never God's way I get to come. Yeah. You yeah, know, I was never broken. like allowing God to use me as like a conduit and a vessel for a way bigger purpose. Mm-hmm. And I had a few experiences where I was under the influence. And I like that you touch a lot on that and just how demonic those experiences are. Mm-hmm. Like drugs and and lowering your vibrations is how demons on they enter right. um, into our lives, whether it is through a voice in our head or situations or even other people yeah. to where when me and my husband started giving our life to the Lord and really studying the Bible and learning about how we have been oppressed in drug addiction, uh, we can now point out certain situations that we experienced that were like, those are so demonic. And that is just a way that the enemy can really use drugs for his plan. Exactly. And sort of having that healthy fear of that reality, that very like dark truth. Yeah. That can be something that inclines you to stay sober even when you're struggling or feeling weak. 
yeah. is to know that using is a form of spiritual oppression that the demonic is using to get a hold back into your life. Yeah. And it really is true. And so now like my husband's family and my family, they all deal with drug addiction. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of them, they really do. This is a family disease, you know? So this, a lot is on our shoulders to break these curses and these spiritual oppressed desires that our family has had. It also has been so socially acceptable in our family, you know, to where we just, we moved away and we're like, we are just living our life with God in the middle. And I think that is so important with everything, you know, not inviting God into some things, you know, not allowing God to be in other things, but like, literally I open my life to God every day. It's not about me anymore. And that's what I kept praying right before this. I was like, it's not about me. Hmm. It's not about me. I am saved. I am continuing to be delivered. Um, now it's about other people. Yeah. You know, and our life recently has been making disciples, making disciples like that, that keeps being brought into our life in our path is are you making disciples? Has God put disciples in your life that you are not continuing to, you know, reach out to and talk hmm. to? And there is always somebody that we can help. That's Whether it is with a video, is with a status, it is with a text message, somebody that we can reach out to that, you know, maybe doesn't talk about being oppressed, but is oppressed by emotions. Yeah, exactly. I, I love that you said that um, because one of the questions I often ask is if you could tell somebody now going through what you went through, what would you what would you tell them? Um, it gets better. (laughs) It definitely does. And it may not seem like it right now, but giving up control and living a surrendered life has been the best decision I have made. See, I've, again, I've always been under this impression. If I want things done, I need to do that. That's it. As simple as that is, I took that to the extreme to where I always needed to control things. I always needed to be know what was going on and have my hand in the mix. And like, it was, that was the hardest thing for me is just letting go completely, completely. I take my hands off the wheel because when I have my hands on the wheel, I get myself arrested. Yeah. (laughs) Institutions, hospitals, like that's where my best thinking gets me. (laughs) Those places. That's so good. And it, it so it makes me, there's another question that's coming to mind. And that is, I guess, like the how, like the practical question, because we're, like you said, this is a disease, like it doesn't go away. I'm sure the temptation is still there sometimes. I know, I know for me, like I still struggle, like that void is still there, but it's now about like what you choose to fill it with. Um, and so I'm needy. I'm so needy with God. Like every day I'm so needy. And I feel like, like the deeper the hole, the deeper the void, the more God that we need. Um, so that's something like I find myself crying a lot, praying a lot in my Bible a lot. Like, like I need it so much because I was filling that void with so much. Yeah. Uh, before I had God. And so I don't know, like what, what are some things that you do when you feel like in a weak place? Yeah. Um, well, I think you touched a lot on it. It's about 
it's about building my spiritual life. Um, you know, it talks in a book um, that has helped me a lot in my journey where it says um, people will will look for things to fill this void and this hole that is only God shaped. So it is a God-shaped hole that only God can fill, but there's also my responsibility, right? There's God's will, the enemy's will, but Mm self-will. So now there's my decision to make the choice of what I'm going to do. Like today I have the choice. Thank you, Lord. I do. I'm not using, I'm not stuck in that cycle. Mm -hmm. I have the choice today, whether I pick up a drink or I leave it or I build my spiritual life. Mm -hmm. And if I don't build my spiritual life, I will inevitably go back to the things that would take away pain or numb how I really feel, you know? So uh, I guess a, a good answer to this is when I feeling my, when I feel myself get angry, irritable and discontent and just spiritually, I'm not okay. Mm -hmm. When I know I get to that point, action, I need to take action into getting right with God, getting with God, praying, reading, helping another person is another huge thing. Mm. When I reach out to somebody and I'm talking to somebody on the phone or I'm texting somebody or even over a video chat with you, like me and you today, this is such a character building and spiritual building piece that is so important. What did Jesus do? He went and ate with sinners. You know, he went and ate with the people that were struggling to figure it out. That's a big Mm. thing for me is I go and eat and talk with those people that are struggling to figure it out because I remember being there. Wow. Oh, I'm feeling like you're ministering even to me right now. So I, I love oh, thank all of that. you. <laughs> I'm so grateful. This was amazing, honestly. I want to ask you one more thing, and that's yeah. and it can be it can be short, but if you would just pray for those listening, um, keeping in mind those specifically who maybe are struggling with some of the things that we're talking about. Yeah. I definitely can and will. Okay. Uh, Jesus, we come to you just with open hearts, minds, and spirits, willing and eager for you to heal those places of our hearts that are hurting. We open up our life to you and our will and our actions and our thoughts and our emotions, Lord, that you touch them and that you heal those places and talk to us and understanding and giving us clarity just on our purpose and our walk, Lord. Um, We struggle here sometimes because we're not citizens of earth, you say. We are citizens of heaven. So sometimes going through this life can be hard and triggering and uh, reactive. You know, I know I can be reactive to situations sometimes. Mm-hmm. And not really seeing your purpose or your hand on it, Lord. So we just ask that you open up our eyes and open up our heart to just being um, aware of of how you're working and how you're moving in our life, Lord. And we also pray just over those people that are dealing with a loss of a loved one, addiction or alcoholism, or even just sinning in general. Mm-hmm. Lord, anything not of you. We remove it in the name of Jesus. Any assignment of the enemy, um, we declare it to flee. Darkness flees to the sound in the name of Jesus. So we pray all that in your precious name. Amen.
Amen. That's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this show, I'd love to have you leave a review, share it with a friend, and even connect with me on other platforms. It's at Michaela Nikolenko on Instagram and TikTok. And we also have an at Raised and Redeemed Instagram account too. I look forward to connecting with you there. Until next time, stay well and God bless you.